1: Just moments ago out in Ashburn during Ron Rivera's get together with the local beat reporters on Friday uh, had had enough of the questions about the Chase Young and Montez sweat trades. And he said, quote, I'm through with it. Okay, just so you know, I'm ready to talk about New England. We're going forward on to New England. For me, the deals are done. There's not much more to rake over the coals. Closed quote. The show today presented by Window Nation. Call them at eight six six ninety nation or go to windonation.com. Mention my name. They will take very good care of you. Jay Gruden in the next segment. Uh, we'll get Jay's thoughts on the Philadelphia game last week. We'll get Jay's thoughts on trying to prepare for a Bill Belichick defense. Uh, we'll get his pick on Washington, New England, and get his lock of the week for the NFL as well. And then my smell test comes up in the final segment of the show. Ron was uh asked a lot about, you know, Chase in particular because the other day on the day after the trade deadline he wasn't able to answer questions about Chase Young specifically. He could about Montez Sweat, but the trade had not yet been finalized with San Francisco. And so today a lot of the questions about Chase came and, you know, he got I guess a little bit frustrated and was ready to move on. I think this was a tough week for the organization because I think they knew for a while that they were going to move on from Chase Young. And they were leery about the response, actually two responses, Uh, what they'd get offered for him and then what the response from their uh, media base and customer base would be to what they got back for Chase Young. The Montez sweat trade, again, we've talked about this since the trade, It's clear that that was not their number one priority. That Chase, moving on from Chase, was the number one priority. And they didn't expect to move on from Montez Sweat. But they got too good of an offer, so they didn't want to pass it up. Uh, But Chase, they've been planning on getting rid of for a while now. John Lynch, speaking out in San Francisco yesterday, the 49ers GM, said he and Martin Mayhew had been talking for a couple of weeks uh, about this. I wonder... If they hadn't gotten a late third-round compensatory pick and the best offer had been something like, let's just say, a conditional fourth or fifth-rounder for Chase, I wonder if they would have accepted it. I think they would have. I think they were so ready to move on from Chase Young, and I think it's been that way for a while and maybe they should have moved on a lot earlier. I know that they, you know, were certainly interested in dealing him before the draft last year, but they didn't get a good enough offer. So, they were hoping to get something back that they could hold up and say, "Look, you know, he's injured and it really is a shame, but we got a really good offer and we couldn't turn it down." That's not really what happened the other day. So, Ron was asked a lot about Chase and You know, one of the things he was asked about was just the value. Was it what they hoped to get? And he said, it's never what you hope. Well, it was with Montez. Uh, When we go through the injuries that we talked about, nobody foresaw that. So that's why we're just moving on for the opportunity we have and that they have as well. Um, And, uh, yeah, uh, you know, he – He didn't say a lot uh, necessarily negative or positive about Chase and his answers, uh, you know, leaned on the injury stuff a little bit, um, and there you go. Uh, That that history, that is now history. It is behind us, and it's behind them, and they've done what they've done. You know, it's interesting because I was – thinking about the game on Sunday and the prospect of winning the game like they've got a legitimate chance to win this game Sunday. New England's not very good. Uh, New England's really not that good on offense uh, and they've lost key players on defense. And if Washington were to win this game, they could be the seven seed by the end of business Sunday night. I mean it's possible. And I I feel like the trade deadline has brought with it, along with the way they played Sunday offensively against Philadelphia. I think the last Sunday through Thursday has brought this feeling of kind of a reset, like, okay, uh, here we go, second half of the season, and now it's going to be all about football. But it really won't be because we will be, you know, over the next couple of months hearing, I I think, probably reading stories about, you know, potential GM candidates, potential head coaches, you know, who Josh Harris may have been consulting with, you know, over the last couple of months. Um, We may get some of that and that will be a big part of the story, just like who the new owner is going to be was a big part of the story after, you know, the announcement a year ago yesterday on the Bank of America retainer uh, that Dan and Tanya um, had announced. That was a year ago yesterday, and, you know, it became all about, well, who's going to buy the team if they're going to sell the the majority stake, which we found out shortly thereafter that they were going to. Um, And I do think there will be a lot of what's next the rest of the way. But if they win Sunday off of the no more trade discussions, deadlines come and gone, They looked really good last week against Philadelphia, especially on offense, especially with this quarterback. And, oh, they just went in and had another good performance against New England and won the game. And, oh, my God, they're in the seventh spot. I think there will be some, uh, I would put myself into that, you know, group that would start looking at, you know, hey, I mean, the NFC is wide open for that seventh spot, man, especially now that Cousins is out in Minnesota. You know who is out in Minnesota. I mean, right now you got the Eagles and Cowboys, you got the Lions, you got an NFC South winner, and you've got Seattle and San Francisco. That leaves another spot for a playoff team. And here are the teams vying for that Washington out of the NFC East because the Giants aren't. Uh, I don't think anybody out of the NFC North anymore with Kirk gone. It would have been Minnesota vying for not only a playoff spot as a wild card team, but probably getting themselves back into the the division race with the way they were playing. But now with a rookie quarterback, maybe Josh Dobbs, they, the Packers and the Bears, I don't think – any one of those three teams is going to snag the seven spot. In the NFC West, Rams, Cardinals. Rams are starting to fall apart. The Cardinals have no shot. In the NFC South, Carolina doesn't have a shot. So that leaves two of the three NFC South teams that don't win the division. So let's just say, you know, teams like New Orleans and Tampa, along with Washington. Those three teams. You know, the two that don't win the NFC South and Washington will be vying for the seven seed. Uh, And maybe Washington will be on the list of teams not vying for it anymore. And I think if they lose to New England, they're kind of out. You know, at three and six facing Seattle, the Cowboys and the Dolphins and three of the next four, they would be out. But if they beat New England Sunday, which I think they can, they're right back into this thing. And then you know, you got to decide whether or not you're going to be all in on the rest of the season. I enjoy when the team is in contention post Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, give us something to root for, big games to talk about. I mean, if they lose to New England and then lose to Seattle and they're three and seven, this thing is, go- you know, this thing's going downhill in a hurry. And look, that may be the best thing, too, ultimately. To end up with you know the best possible draft pick, we clearly have the Sam Howell and Eric Bieniemy you know um, storylines to keep an eye on the rest of the way as well, and that'll be very interesting. Um, but I think they can beat New England, and I think if they do, it's going to feel like kind of a new season at four and five trade deadline behind us, the whole Chase Young stuff behind us. Uh, and we'll see. I mean, it's not going to stop a lot of what's next as part of the conversation, but, um, yeah, be interesting if they beat New England. I think there will be a different feeling that maybe some of you don't have right now, and I'm just sensing that I might end up having that feeling on Monday if they win. My prediction coming up, keys to a win over New England coming up, then we'll get to Jay Gruden. Uh, Window Nation right now offering an incredible deal. How about no interest for five years? You don't have to pay any interest for five full years on your new windows. Plus, buy two get two free. With no limit. Call them at 866-90NATION or go to windownation.com. Mention my name. You'll get a free estimate. You've got nothing to lose. If you've been thinking about new windows, do it now before the winter comes. Doug Cameron called me the other day, or texted me the other day. He's got his winter weather forecast coming out next week. I'll probably have him on radio. Uh, he has already told me he's going to be predicting a very cold and snowy winter. That has me jacked. Uh, and excited. Um, But if you've got old windows, you don't need old windows anymore. Get new windows and you're not going to pay a lot for them. And you're going to get a high quality product from a first rate group at Window Nation. 866-90-NATION, windownation.com. Mention my my name, Kevin Sheehan, and they will take good care of you, including getting a free estimate, which means you've got nothing to lose. By the way, did you know that tonight the NBA in-season tournament starts? The chase for the NBA Cup starts tonight? Uh, I don't think a lot of you even know what I'm talking about. But the NBA has an in-season tournament that begins tonight with group play. Yeah, it's a soccer thing in the NBA. By the way, Victor Wembignana last night, 38 points, 10 rebounds. He was sensational. He looks like the real deal, no doubt. Uh, but, yeah, this NBA in-season tournament will culminate on December 9th in Vegas with a championship game for the first-ever NBA Cup. Now, how does it work? I actually looked up how it worked. I was interested. 30 teams in the NBA, if you didn't know it, 15 in each conference. They're going to create five, six groups of five teams, three in each conference, three groups of five in the East, three groups of five in the West. There will be group play. You'll play four games, two at home, two on the road, against the other four teams in your group. The team with the best record in the group advances to the knockout stage. That would put six teams in, into the knockout stage. And then the next best two records or wild card teams would go in and they start a knockout round, quarterfinals, semifinals, and then the finals in early December. All of these games, with the exception of the championship game, count as regular season games. So they are teams that you were already playing in the regular season anyway, but it's just going to go towards your regular season record and towards this NBA in-season tournament. I don't think anybody cares about this. But if you do, the Wizards play their first group play game tonight in Miami. They are nine-and-a-half-point underdogs. Uh man, um, the NBA trying to create something in the middle of football season. Now the championship game in Vegas is December 9th. That is that Saturday in which you have no college football. You don't have... You've got Army-Navy and the Heisman Trophy ceremony at night. And then they're going to play the game at night in Vegas. Uh, Alright, enough on that. Let's get to keys to a win over the Patriots on Sunday and a prediction. So... Everybody that you talk to, and if you watch New England, um, you see that they are very complex defensively, more so than Philadelphia. This is a different test. Logan Paulson was on with me on radio this morning, and he said, it's just a different test. Philadelphia is simple. You know what you're going to get, um, and you can see it. And, and it. and it made it much easier along with the game plan from Eric Bienemy last week on Sam. This week... Bill Belichick feasts on young quarterbacks with, you know, stunts, constant stunts up, up front, constant coverage switches, you know, they're in cover three, then they're in quarters, then they're in press man and they show looks that they're not actually in. He really does a great job of confusing veteran quarterbacks, you know, let alone young, inexperienced quarterbacks. So, um, Key number one to beating the New England Patriots. you got to minimize your mistakes against New England's defense. New England doesn't have great players on defense. They've got Matthew Judon and Christian Wilkins. um, Christian uh, Christian Gonzalez, excuse me, out. Remember, he was the corner selected right after Emmanuel Forbes. uh, Was the consensus either one or two corner in the draft. He's on IR. Judon's on IR. They have nothing offensively. Um, they really don't. They have no playmakers on offense. But number one is minimize the mistakes against New England's defense. You know, if you don't see what you think you're, if you don't see something that you recognize, look for that incompletion and punt it, because New England's not going to score a lot. I don't think. I mean, I say that, and the defense has been pretty awful. Understood. But I think you've got to be. Really careful offensively. Uh, and I don't know that running the football is an option. New England's uh, average allowed yards per rush is 3.4. That is the second best in the league on yards per rush defensively. So, like last week, I didn't think that they would run well against Philly, even though Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter didn't play that many snaps in the game. You're probably not going to be able to, you know. Avoid the confusion of what Belichick throws at you from, you know, a pass defense standpoint. You're not going to be able to avoid that by running the football consistently, I don't think. Number one way to beat New England, the number one key is minimize your mistakes offensively against New England, trying to confuse a young quarterback. Number two, same pass offense as last week, please. Same pass offense short game, screens, rollouts, dashes. Let's not get into the drop, drop back game. Even though they are near the bottom of the league in sacks this year, the Patriots are. So were the Bears. So were the Falcons. So were the Giants. Uh, I want to see the same thing I saw last week. I was so impressed with Eric Bieniemy's game plan and play calling. Short game in the pass offense. Thirdly, you got to stop the run. Uh, they don't. They're not going to beat you through the air. Ramondre Stevenson, pretty good. Washington's done a good job stopping the run. If you stop the run Sunday and you turn them into a one-dimensional football team with Mac Jones, who actually may not be the problem. I watched a couple of the Patriots games. I think they don't have anybody that gets open. Maybe they will against Washington's defense and Washington's secondary. But anyway. Uh, stop the run make them one dimensional and it's going to be hard i think for new england to score obviously as always cliche but you can't hand them short fields i think things like you know kickers in this game and punters in this game will be important i like washington to win the game sunday 24 to 23 24 23 washington to get to 4 and 5 and i think we will have a different view of the season come Monday. All right, Jay Gruden up next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data,
1: This segment is brought to you by Surfside. Good news, your favorite spot for tacos in DC's, making it easier than ever to feed your family fast. Lots of family time is coming up this season, and Surfside's fajita boxes are here to make your dinners easy. On the go or on your way home, they are the best way to feed your crew with a meal everyone will love fajita chicken, steak, veggies all the fixings in a convenient grab-and-go box if you're thinking ahead hop online to order a fajita box in advance on the fly fajita boxes can be ready in minutes flat and delivered straight to your door learn more at surfsidedc.com that's surfsidedc.com jay gruden is with us as he is every friday i was looking at something Um, just before we started to record this. Most wins for a coach in the Super Bowl era when trailing at the end of the third quarter. It is a who's who of all-time great coaches. Don Shula has 45... Wins after trailing at the end of the third quarter. Andy Reid's got 38. Belichick's got 34. Dan Reeves, 34. Marty Schottenheimer, 34. And after last night, Mike Tomlin is next at 33. What do you think of Mike Tomlin as a head coach?
3: I coach with Mike at Tampa Bay. He's he's a good football coach. He's a really good motivator. He knows how to handle players and uh, get the best out of players. You know, He was a defensive back coach at Tampa Bay and went on to be the head coach, obviously. So I don't know how much input he has with the offense or defense anymore, but he's more of a Pete Carroll, more of a motivator-type guy, more so than an X's and O's guys, and that's important nowadays. He handles the game, handles players extremely well, and they've done pretty good in the drafts over the years, and they always, they always have a good identity about themselves. They're always a tough, physical football team, and that stays consistent over the years.
1: I mean, he's never Jay had a losing season as a head coach. It's pretty amazing. I mean, he's had some five hundred seasons,
3: especially. You know, you could you could put a lot of credit to Ben Roethlisberger, but he's been out a little while, and he's still man manufacturing some wins. I mean, they went ugly. It's not pretty, but it is Steeler football. You know, you watch that game last night. It looks cold, windy, and. And next thing you know, it's twenty to sixteen.
1: They're running off the field with another win. (laughs) It's amazing. They are the first (laughs) team ugliest football ever. (laughs) The the first team in NFL history to be outgained over the first eight games of the season to also have a winning record. They're five and three. They've been outgained in eight straight games. First team in NFL history to have a winning record after being outgained in eight straight games. I mean, it's yep. it's it's incredible, and, and you see it coming. You know, I
3: watched all our games this year. I watched all their games this year, and I could just tell. I could oh, they're into the third quarter. It's close. Steelers are going to win this sucker, <laughs> and sure enough, they figure out a way to pull it out in an ugly fashion.
1: It's amazing. Uh, who's the best coach you've ever coached with, and who's the best coach you've ever coached against?
3: Coached with. Well, my brother is my, the best coach I ever coached with. I okay. coached with him for seven years at Tampa Bay.
1: Right. Obviously. Figured and, uh, that would be your coached answer.
3: Against, coached against. Um, that's a tough one. Probably, well, probably Belichick. You know, just playing out there, Belichick with Tom Brady. Obviously, his defenses are always tough. I mean, they're always physical. I do a lot of stunting, a lot of crazy things. Uh, Dick LeBeau was tough at Pittsburgh when he was there. Um. There's more personnel-related teams than coach-related teams right? to me. Some of these good defenses that had good safeties, good pass rushers, man, it's just hard to get a yard sometimes. But I'd say Belichick, just because of um, the way he coaches defense, is a very aggressive style, a lot of stunting, a lot of man, tight man-to-man, different leverages, and hard to get open.
1: So <clears throat> what is Washington facing this week against New England's defense? That, yeah.
3: That. A lot of, uh, you know, they disguise their intent pretty well defensively. They do a good job of taking away your number one option. So I'm sure they'll have a plan for Terry. And then uh, expect some tight man-to-man with some different blitzes, some internal blitzes with the linebackers, which Washington's had trouble with over the course of the season. A lot of stunting with the defensive linemen, which Washington's had trouble with over the season. So that's the biggest issue they're going to have. They're going to have to deal with the stunts and the internal blitzes of the linebackers and things of that nature. And different droppers. Sometimes they'll drop defensive ends and play man-to-man and tight outside levers by the defensive backs and then they'll drop into cover two or quarters or whatever it might be. They just do a great job of disguising their intent and changing it up. You never get the same thing twice.
1: So are you expecting Sam to struggle Sunday?
3: I am in this game. I'm not maybe not so much Sam, but on the offensive line, uh, just because the Giants played a very similar way. In fact, that you know, they had like the five down and a lot of the stunts and, and then they bring a linebacker or a safety off the edge and I think Belichick and Belichick's son will watch that very closely and come up with similar patterns um to disrupt the offensive line for the commanders and that's you know philadelphia really didn't do a whole lot they just rushed forward most of the time brought an internal one backer but doing England's gonna be a little bit different they're gonna bring a little bit more in different variety of stuff
1: um he's obviously had great success against young quarterbacks uh over the years um and and uh and so that, that is a concern. I, I'm curious as to whether or not you thought the the O line last week with Larson at center and Chris Paul in at guard was much better.
3: Oh, much better. Much better. You could see the difference in Sam, too. And and, and Bayonami did an excellent job early in the game getting him some easy completion and getting him in the flow. Even though they weren't huge gains, it's important to give a quarterback like Sam just a little confidence that he can set his feet and throw it. And then as the game came on and wore down and he felt, for, uh, you know, kept going, he. You know, deepened up some drop and took some shots deeper down the field in some seams and really good game plan. And then uh, the unfortunate interception and the unfortunate fourth and one. Um, That was the only call I didn't like in the game was the hitch to Terry McLaurin. But other than that, he called a great game.
1: The hitch on fourth and one?
3: Yeah, that's the only call I really didn't like. Yeah. Bradbury's not going to give up a hitch on fourth and one, is he?
1: No. I mean, he's—they're lucky he didn't pick it. He didn't pick it and take, yeah. it, take it back to the house.
3: It maybe Sam worked the wrong side on that because they did have a three-man combination on the other side. But yeah, that was, that was the only call. That. But I mean, it's one call. He called a great game to have Sam throw for that many yards and you know, that many touchdowns. He can't complain about the
1: play calling at all. No, I mean it was a completely. It it, it, it appeared to be a completely different uh, game plan from the week before. Everything was quick, early. Lots of you know three-step, you know, quick game, lots of hitches, lots of screens, um, and they had him, you know, moving. They moved the pocket. They sprinted him out, and it seemed to really get him into a flow.
3: Exactly right. That's important. And the difference in a quarterback being able to set his feet and throw it without somebody hitting him in the mouth is quite different. You saw Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Um, (laughs) Every time he took a drop, he was getting hit, and then when he wasn't getting hit, he was seeing ghosts, and he couldn't throw the ball. He was scared to death. And that happens. That has a natural effect on the quarterback when you get hit. But early in the games, if you get a little bit of rhythm and you don't feel that pressure, you have a lot more confidence to step in the throw, and that's what Sam had in that game against Philly. He's going to need that against New England. I don't know if he's going to have that, because I know that Belichick loves to pressure the gaps, especially internal. So it'll be interesting. Uh,
1: The fourth and one that you you brought up, um, uh, there's a a Jamison Crowder is wide open. Philadelphia doesn't even cover him. And I had Santana Moss on the podcast uh, a couple of days ago, and he said, "Well, it may not have been in his progression. Uh, the Crowder may not have been in, in the progression. When a receiver's not in the progression, what's the expectation of the receiver?:
3: Well, all receivers are in the progression. There's no such thing as being not in the progression. It may be the fifth progression, fifth guy or fourth guy, but he's part of the route, so he's going to be a viable option. Sometimes the guy's running a, a clear. But if the safety squat and nobody covers a clear, sometimes you get to it, sometimes you don't. You know, I've seen that happen. I've seen Stafford hit a clear, and uh, he's not even in the progression technically, but he's part of the pattern. But uh, you know, a lot of times if you have a man-to-man and, and he's your like Terry's your number one guy um, in man, and then if it's zone coverage, you work the other side against zone coverage for the zone beater. So technically, if it's man and Terry's number one progression, he probably won't get to. Crowder, who's the zone beater over there, Right. if that
1: makes sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, All right, let's talk about the trades. What was your reaction to them trading not one, but both, Montez Sweat and Shea Shung?
3: Very surprising. Just There's a couple reasons why, because they're both great players, good players, you know what I mean, and they're having a pretty good year. And they play the same position, and the depth of that position has to be affected in a negative way when you lose two star players at the same position. The depth for one was a defensive end and one was a tight end. You know, but they're both the same position, so that's going to have impact on their depth moving forward. And then, obviously, the skill of a pass rusher. The pass rusher position is very hard to find in the National Football League. Second round, third round, whatever it is. I mean, you can find, find them, but it's very difficult to find a, a guy like a Chase Young or Montez Sweat in the second or third or fourth or fifth round. So, you know, I, I just I value the defensive line. I value guys who can hit the quarterback, and I value guys who can protect the quarterback. And if you have them, you don't want to lose them. You don't want to lose Trent Williams for nothing, and you don't want to lose Montez Sweat or Chase Young for basically nothing either.
1: I mean, they got they, they got a, to
3: get something. If they, at least they got something. you got a second round pick, which was good for
1: Sweat. Which, yeah, you know,
3: so they got something. I, I can understand trading one, but it was surprising to me that they traded both. Of them.
1: Well, it's very clear, you know, with the you know the the, the leaks that were out on Chase Young uh, after the fact, they wanted to get rid of Chase Young. What do you what do you think I mean, I don't know if you followed it at all, but clearly for the time he was there, it was apparently difficult to coach him. Uh and I'm curious as to what well, your reaction to that is.
3: Well, he was a cheerleader most of the time. You know, the only time I saw him do anything for the first couple of years was just waving a towel on the sideline. It right. drives me crazy. Yeah. They kept showing him like he was a team leader and, and team cheerleader. But I don't know what internally, um what type of guy he was. They should have known when they drafted him at number two, what kind of guy he was from Ohio State and under due diligence, but you know this might be a problem and let's go elsewhere. But you know uh, who knows? That's that's an internal issue. That's uh, with the coaches and uh, Jack Del Rio and obviously Coach Rivera. So you know I, I don't know. I can't comment on that because I don't know what type type of guy he is.
1: Yeah. Do you ever with um, with a player that's got extraordinary talent just adjust the way you coach? That person, you know, uh, t- uh, we were talking yesterday. Maybe ultimately he he's he's Lawrence Taylor. P- Parcells is in in Belichick, they've told the stories about Lawrence Taylor forever. I'm not comparing him to Lawrence Taylor. I guess I just did, but my point is is that the LT basically rarely did what they asked him to do, and they finally realized it doesn't matter. Just go get the ball, go get the quarterback. Um, I, I think Jack and and Ron perhaps are more rigid with their expectations uh, of their players have you ever had a player where you said okay he's not necessarily doing what we want him to do but who cares because he can get results
3: no not really the only guys who didn't really do what they want were supposed to do were guys that uh, were problems and i couldn't get rid of but other than that, we had really good (laughs) players the good players that i had were really good guys you know pierre and and Deshaun, who, you know, people thought might be a problem, but he, he was great. He was smart, did, did everything he was supposed to do. And Trent was amazing. He was an amazing player and an amazing leader. And, um, you know, Kirk, obviously, was was great. Jordan Reed was a great kid. Ryan Kerrigan was an unbelievable kid. You know, Rakpo, my first year, was great. So, yeah, we, we never really had any issues with those guys. Um, just some of the guys that weren't very good had some issues with.
1: <laughs> right. We'll steer clear of that. We've heard those <laughs> names before. All right. Um... Uh, yeah. So they've got, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, they, they, they apparently team coaches said it's addition by subtraction. I guess we'll find out beginning Sunday. So let's talk about the matchup against the Patriots. You've already discussed what Sam and what Eric Biennemi are going to be up against. Uh, but you know, overall, how do they go in and win this game?
3: I think they have to play great defense against New England. They really do. They can't get behind. Um, that's the most important thing. They have to be probably a little bit more physical at the point of attack offensively with Brian Robinson, try to get him going. I don't think we can expect to throw the ball 40 times against New England and have success throwing the ball consistently against that defense and that pass rush. So I think it's uh plan on grinding one out, making your field goals, punt when you have to punt, make Mac Jones go the length of the field and don't give him any. Uh, short fields that's for sure so they're getting a little bit better offensively but still they're they're a work in progress with the receiving core that they have with you know i don't even know who they have they got the rager and um, i think one of their guys just got hurt hurt, right yeah they might be hurt yeah so they're going to struggle offensively they're going to try to run the ball and and shorten the game as well so it's going to be a field position battle don't turn the ball over and um, make the plays when they present themselves, and try to get Terry matched up one on one and take a couple shots with him.
1: We got a weekly theme going with Jay Gruden here. Don't be afraid to punt, kick your field goals, and you know, let's try to get out of here with a seventeen oh, fourteen. Yeah. Game. I mean,
3: you, you see Pittsburgh. I know <laughs> they're five. What are they but, five and three? But that's what not the hell?
1: way you wanted to coach.
3: But sometimes that's the way you have to coach if you don't have an elite. Offensive line or quarterback or whatever, you know, supposedly, well, now that their defense is a little shaken and ranked 30th or whatever it is, maybe you do have to be more aggressive. Uh, I think you have to see how a game starts out. You know, get your first 15 out, see how the game goes, see how you're protecting, see how the defense is playing, and then you adjust from there. Maybe you become more aggressive, maybe you don't. Just see how the game goes.
1: Um it's it's actually it's it's interesting because I now um remember a quote of yours uh as you're as you're talking about this it was the RG3 2014 season and we all kind of honed in on this quote it, you you during the preseason you said we're going to have to play some really good defense some really good special teams and win 16 13 games do you remember saying that like it was such yeah, a tell yeah. on on how much of a struggle you thought offensively you guys were going to have with him at quarterback.
3: Yeah, when we had that scrimmage against New England, it was uh, it was quite eye opening. It was it was scary, and it kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we had to be patient with the offense. You know, it's do offense, and RG three is coming back. You know, you know, trying to get back in the flow as far as the drop back quarterback goes and uh, things of that nature. But it was going to be a struggle, so we kind of knew that, and you know, he got to play. He had to plan accordingly. Unfortunately, we didn't have the defense to play like that, but we tried.
1: I mean, Washington last week put up 31 points and had 472 yards of offense. So you don't think that that's yeah. even in the realm of possibility against New England?
3: I don't think so, personally. But, I mean, you never know. If they hit some man-to-man and, and it's a big play, that's a, that's a big thing. I, you know, New England's not a team that you... They don't really give up the big play very often unless it's Tyree Kill. Uh, you know, maybe Terry can can split some coverages like Tyreek did because you know he's fast as well. So hopefully that'll happen. That's going to be the most important. Thing. We got to get some deep balls and some splash plays somehow without holding the ball and trying to work three level throws all day and and you know four verticals or whatever. It's going to be it's going to be tough to get balls up. But you know, New England's a little banged up defensively as well. I mean, it's yeah. not like they have you know they have. They just do a great job with the stunts and all that stuff. That's the only thing I'm worried about. But you know, Washington will be fine. Maybe I'm just being a little paranoid because I played against New England so many times.
2: <laughs> Got
3: my ass beat.
1: Well, they're they're, they're three and a, <laughs> they're three and a half point favorites um, Sunday. So who do you like in the game? What's your what's your prediction?
3: Well, I I like New England at New England personally. I just yeah. think that they're a tough place to play at home. Uh, on the road, tough place to play on the road. Even though New England fans are probably a little bit down. Mac Jones is getting a little bit better. Um, the running game's getting a little bit better up there, and Washington obviously losing two key components to that front, who's really not dominated like we thought anyway. I think it's going to struggle a little bit against the run.
1: Um, you know, what's interesting is that last week we talked about it being the eight-year anniversary of the You Like That game. Um, and, by the way, you talked about how the most amazing thing about Kirk is his durability, um, which – Uh, Yeah, yeah, jinxed him. I know, great. Good timing. Um, And and he was playing so so well. But what's interesting about the eight-year anniversary about the game against Tampa Bay, kind of interesting, I guess, is that you had a bye week afterwards, and then your next game was at New England. And it it did not go very well, Um, but you – that was, you know, you said last week you felt like if you guys didn't beat Tampa that, you know, you, you were in it, your job was in jeopardy. Part of that was because you guys were heading into a bye week as well.
3: Right, yep, and we just hired Scott McLuhan.
2: <laughs> so those
1: things kind
3: of, you know, added up to, uh-oh, I'm in trouble unless we win this game and we're down 30, what was it? Twenty-one to three or twenty-one to nothing. Twenty-four. A little 20, scary at that time, but we kept roaring back. And Kirk had a couple great plays and ended up winning. Got yeah. the outside kick and
1: won the game. He went on, Thriller. went on to win the division. Had a playoff game and had a lead in the playoff game against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers at home. Should have had a bigger lead. Uh, we've talked about that yeah. before. All right, um, how about this NFL card Sunday? I mean, it's one of the best NFL Sundays in a while. Dolphins Chiefs, nine thirty a.m. Eastern from Germany uh who do you like in that one
3: you know I took the Chiefs Uh, I just think Miami's got to beat somebody pretty good they haven't really had a really really tough schedule and and the fronts that they've played that are pretty good they've struggled against against Buffalo I think Kansas City can get some pressure on Tua but you know that's a game where you just never know Tyreek's explosiveness I mean if he hits a couple big ones Obviously, Kansas City's receivers have been struggling a little bit. I just think they're going to make some plays, and Patrick's going to make a little bit more things happen, and, and Kansas City gets the
1: victory. All right. Uh, what about. would you say?
3: That's a flip. That's a
1: flip. I mean, who do you like? Um,. I don't really like the game one way or the other, to be honest with you. I, yep. I mean, I'm not going to be... – I figured you'd take opposite of what I take. I'd be no, 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 no. I, I have done that before, <laughs> and I did it Monday night, and I lost. I had your your lock of the week one. You had uh, the Lions on Monday night, and I had I was on the Raiders. Yeah. I do occasionally go opposite, but it's not opposite of you. It's opposite of just sort of the general the consensus thinking. Um, but there's no general consensus thinking in, in the Kansas City-Miami game. It's pretty much split right down the middle – I'm kind of with you, especially after they lost to Denver last week. By the way, how about that? Kansas City puts up – Denver gives up 70 to Miami, and they only give up nine last week to the Chiefs. Doesn't make any sense, the NFL. The NFL doesn't make any sense. No sense. No Uh, sense at all. That's why you shouldn't bet. (laughs) No, you shouldn't. (laughs) Uh, One o'clock, Seahawks at Ravens. Do you think the Seahawks are legit for real?
3: I do. I think they're they're well now. They just added Leonard Williams too to help the run defense, which right. so will help them tremendously. So they have a really good back end. Their defense is playing pretty good now that with Leonard Williams' addition, and I think they added Frank Clark too for some pass rush. Makes them dangerous. You know, Geno is just a little bit of a wild card. He can be really, really good, and he can make some throws that are like, who is this guy? And that's what I'm worried about against Baltimore. I think Baltimore wins the game because Baltimore's defense is number one in the league. They do a great job of disguising their intent. Their coverages, they match up zones really well. I know they have Lockett and DK Metcalf, but I think they're going to do a good job and force Geno into some turnovers. I think
1: that'll be the difference. Uh, The Falcons are going to start Taylor Heineke this week. Ritter was concussed last week, um, and I don't know, maybe they're using it as an excuse uh, to start Heineke. Uh, Obviously, they get Minnesota. Without Kirk, they were rolling. Um, I, I know we've talked about Taylor Heineke in the past, uh, but the Falcons are 4-4. Four four. You think he gives them a better chance than Ritter or not?
3: I do. I do. I like Taylor, and I think that's actually my pick of the week. I think with Minnesota's quarterback issue, I think Taylor Heineke does a good job, gets the ball to their star receivers and uh, makes enough plays to get the victory. Gets Minnesota playing a brand-new quarterback from BYU who's never – Really hadn't played a whole lot, so I'm taking Heineke. The experience, the grittiness, the toughness of Heineke I like, and I think they get the win.
1: You're laying three and a half. That's your lock of the week. That is. Okay. I
3: like betting against first time quarterbacks, and Atlanta's defense can uh, get some pressure and, and do some different things. So I think they'll they'll do enough to get the win. Cowboys twenty four
1: and seven. Twenty four seven Atlanta, uh to get to five and four. Cowboys at Eagles, big one in the late window. Um, and Philly is a three-point favorite.
3: Yeah, I, I love Philadelphia. I, I, I just the way Jalen Hurst played last week against Washington. I know that the coverages were not very good, but Dallas will play a lot better defense than Washington did. But Jalen has proven time and time again that he can beat you with his arm, not just his legs. And he had, didn't have to use his legs last week, and I'm sure his knee will be a lot better. when he can use his legs and legs to get some more quarterback design runs in there. Um, I like Philadelphia at home. Philadelphia is a tough place to play. That division matchup is always tough. Home game for Philly, it's going to be rocking, and I like Philly.
1: Uh, And then the Sunday night game is Buffalo and Cincinnati. Uh, The last time we saw those two teams play, we saw the near tragedy on the field on Monday Night Football last year. But, uh, Bill, well, we we saw the playoffs too, but back in Buffalo. But this one in Cincinnati Sunday night, the Bengals are two-point favorites. Yeah,
3: I think this is the time of year. Every year, Cincinnati starts to get better. Now that Burroughs' cap is better, and you know it's better because they called a quarterback draw for him last week and he had 60 yards rushing, I believe. That's a huge element for Cincinnati. A huge. I mean, he rushed for three or four first downs, and to add that element to their game, yeah. now it takes away some coverages that you you can't play two-man anymore. You can't play some of these five-man rushes with man-to-man. Buffalo does a great job of disguising their coverages and, and playing zones and all that stuff. But I think Joe Burrow's going to be a little bit too much. And I'm worried about Josh Allen's. Shoulder. He a shoulder pretty good against. I think it was uh, Rudy heard it against the Giants. Yeah. And 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 uh, I'm just worried about his shoulder because I had that AC joint on my right shoulder. and that thing that thing hurt for a while. You know he can throw still, but it hurts. and It affects your throw motion. So I'm taking uh,
1: Cincinnati. Uh, real quickly, D- Jacksonville's six and two. They're on a bye week. Then they get the 49ers next week. Uh, they have been rolling. They've won five in a row. The 49ers have lost three in a row, as we know. But um, you like the Jags don't you you think they are a legit contender
3: I do like the Jags because they can hit you a lot of different ways offensively ETM's rushing the ball extremely well out of the backfield. he's good catching the ball Um, they have receivers Ridley and Christian Kirk that are very good Zay Jones has been hurt but he'll come back pretty soon I think Ingram is a good tight end a good tight end threat so they're well balanced on offense and defensively they're a lot better than people think. I mean, they have two. Trayvon Walker's getting a little bit better, but Josh Allen's a heck of a pass rusher. Yep. They're secondary. They're ball hawking. They're, they, they have like 16 or 17 takeaways. So I do like Jacksonville. They're a good football team.
1: All right. Enjoy the football this weekend. Thanks. I'll talk to you next week.
3: All right. Thanks, Kevin.
1: Jay Gruden with me every Friday during football season. Up next, the smell test to finish up the show right after these words from a few of our sponsors
4: Kevin looks where the John Q. public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for for the Smell Smell Test. test.
1: Smell Test brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC, and you'll get a cash bonus on your initial deposit. MyBookie is the best. Uh, They're also extremely fair when it comes to things like pricing. Some of you have reached out to me recently to say, Thank you for suggesting my bookie. I'm paying a lot less on losses. What does that mean? Uh, Most of you know what it means, but I'll explain it for others. A lot of the newer places are charging an arm and a leg on a loss. They have very high what we call vigs. It's the vigorous, uh, the fees that they charge on a loss. A sports book makes its money primarily by, you know, collecting $110 on a loss and only paying out $100 on a win. But some of these newer places are collecting $120 or $125 or $130 on a loss and only paying out $100 on a win. You know, that's minus $120, minus $125, minus $130 on a loss. That's ridiculous, on a loss, you shouldn't be paying any more than an average of minus 110. Uh, like, as an example, this week, in the game Sunday, the early game Sunday, Kansas City's minus 2.5, minus 109. That means you bet 100 bucks on Kansas City. If they cover, you win 100 If you lose, you lose 109 That's more in line with what you should be paying. It adds up. It adds up in a big way. Over the course of a season, if you're overpaying on on loss fees, on loss vig's, mybookie.ag promo code Kevin DC. They've got fair point spreads, fair totals, fair money lines. They've got all the prop bets you'd want, um, and they charge you fairly on losses. A lot of the newer places aren't doing that. Mybookie.ag promo code Kevin DC. I got this uh, note on Twitter from Trip. Tripp wrote, Kevin, please, no more college games, only the NFL for your smell test. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Tripp. I appreciate the note. Um, It's funny because I read that just before the radio show this morning, and I thought, and I know this to be true, I've gotten many notes over the years, in recent years uh, in particular, from those of you that really do follow the smell test and really are betters. You're convinced that my picks in the NFL are much better than my college picks. Weird week to do it because I was two and one in college. Uh, Weird week for Tripp to send me the note because I was two and one in college last week and one and two in the NFL. I honestly don't think that there's that much of a difference. Maybe a slight difference, a slight edge of NFL winners uh, to college winners over the years. I don't have the ability to go back anymore. I used to have that information. Uh, Long story as to why I don't anymore. Actually, the last time I went and looked um, and sort of uh, went through a lot of my old smell tests uh, was when uh, somebody had suggested to me that I was lights out on picks involving the skins. And I felt like I was. So I went back and I think it was either a year ago or two years ago, you know basically discovered that games uh, involving washington in the smell test either picking them or picking the opponent i was like 64 and a half or 65% may have been a, even a little bit higher um that's good most of you understand that's really good uh that's a that's a good clip um i do not have washington in the smell test this week but i think overall I would bet if there is a difference, it's not as much of a difference as you think it is. Part of me wonders if some of you just prefer betting on the NFL, and so you just want to hear those picks. I don't know. Uh, Trip. I'm sorry to say this, but today's, today's smell test features 12 college picks and just two in the NFL. Sorry, but those were the games that fit you know the formula. So let's get to it. Um, Yeah, 12 college picks. I love the college board. Remember, I did not like the board at all last week, either in college or in the NFL. I only had six selections. I've got 14 this week, but 12 of them, Yet 12 of them are in college. Trip may be, you know, fast-forwarding right now through the college part, and that's fine um, if you want to do that, but... I love the college card. It doesn't mean that it's going to do well. I just think there are so many games that totally stood out the moment I saw them. And then during the course of the week, as I got information in, it just sort of confirmed what I thought, which was I knew certain sides would be be bet heavily by the public. And I thought there was a chance that the opponent of those teams would be bet by sharps. And uh, it's true. So let's start with it. Notre Dame-Clemson tomorrow in Death Valley. Notre Dame coming off two blowout wins over USC and Pitt, have looked very good all of a sudden offensively. Clemson's got two losses. They are in the midst of one of their worst seasons in a long time. They are 4-4. Four and four. They're catching three at home against the Fighting Irish. The public is pounding Notre Dame. Give me Clemson. Plus the three. Michigan State is home against Nebraska. Nebraska has won five of six after that one and two start, which included by the way, a loss at Colorado when I loved Nebraska. didn't work out. Uh, they have quietly won five of six. They haven't beaten anybody great, but Matt Rule is going to probably end up being bowl eligible in his first year in Lincoln. Uh, just a tougher place now to win big because of recruiting, recruits just would much prefer uh, You know, nicer weather, nicer – I'm not saying anything about the Nebraska campus. I've never been there. But we know that the weather ain't great, and it's in the middle of kind of nowhere. Um, but maybe Matt Rule will restore Nebraska football to its uh, glory days. But they're laying three at Michigan State. Michigan State's terrible. They are horrendous. They've lost six in a row. That line should be seven. I'll take Michigan State plus – The three Texas A&M at Ole Miss is only catching a field goal against seven and one Ole Miss in Oxford. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Max Johnson, Brad Johnson's son, as a quarterback. I think he's super high IQ, but there's just um, you know some plays here and there where he holds it a little bit too long. A&M, you know, under Jimbo Fisher, major disappointment. I think they might get what turns out to be uh, you know a big upset in the SEC and there might be another one on Saturday night. Give me Texas A&M plus the 3. I like Rutgers plus 18 and a half at home against Ohio State. Ohio State coming off those two big wins over Penn State and then last week over Wisconsin. Rutgers is 6 and 2. They haven't beaten anybody, which is why the public is leaning heavily towards the Buckeyes. That number's 18 and a half. I'll take the 18 and a half. And Rutgers, I always I also feel good about that game, actually, in in a in, in more of a, of an analysis way, because Ohio State, even in the wins over Penn State and, and Wisconsin, they still aren't a very explosive offensive team. And to lay those big numbers, typically you do that with really good offensive teams. They're very good on defense, though. But gimme Rutgers plus the 18 and a half. Houston, uh, I was on the other side of them last week with a winning uh, pick with Kansas State laying a big number. They lost 41 to nothing to K State, and now they're only catching three at Baylor. Give me Houston plus the three. Um, let's go to Louisville, uh, where Virginia Tech has a chance to keep things going. They've won three of four. Louisville's 7 and 1. If Louisville runs the table, They'll be in the college football playoff. They could with one loss because they will have knocked out Florida State, presumably, in the ACC championship game. Uh, That line opened at 10.5. It's down to 9.5. Sharp money on Virginia Tech. Public money on Louisville. I'll buy the half point here, as we've been doing with key numbers, and take the Hokies plus the 10. I mentioned at the end of the podcast yesterday that I think Maryland's got a chance to win the game against Penn State tomorrow. That line is now down to eight. It was ten and a half. That is super, super sharp money on the Terps. I'll take Maryland plus the eight against Penn State tomorrow. Georgia's laying a big number against seven and one Missouri. Everybody's looking forward to this, you know. Doubleheader of Georgia-Missouri, then LSU-BAM at night. I'm going to take the favorite here. Uh, The public likes Missouri. Lines big at 15-and-a-half. Georgia's gotten it rolling a little bit here recently. I'll lay the 15-and-a-half and and the dogs between the hedges in Athens. Uh, FSU is rolling along. Pitt got destroyed last week by Notre Dame. They lost by 51 points to the Fighting Irish, and they're only getting 21-and-a-half against Florida State I'll take Pitt plus the 21 and a half uh, Middle Tennessee State plus three and a half enough said uh USC Washington tomorrow night SC catching three in the Coliseum against undefeated Washington SC's been struggling recently even when they beat Cal last week it was 50 to 49 they are horrendous on defense but I'll have them tomorrow. Uh, plus the three, and probably a game that will end up being like 52-49. to Uh, SC plus the three in the Coliseum against Washington. And then I love LSU tomorrow night, and I'm so glad that the public is backing Bama uh, and that there is sharp money on LSU because I just, from an analysis standpoint, like LSU. I think Jaden Daniels takes a big, big step um, towards a Heisman Trophy. Uh, He is the second pick right now behind Penix Jr., the Washington quarterback. I've been telling you about Daniels and the LSU offense all season long. I think they're the best offensive college football team in America. They are not good defensively. That is true. Uh, I think he's going to be an NFL quarterback and a good one. I think they go into Tuscaloosa, beat Bama for the second straight year. They, re- they won that overtime game in Death Valley last year. That line you know reeks of, of a little bit short. Public likes Bama. LSU is going to knock them out of the playoff picture with a win. I don't think Bama can actually get themselves back into the playoff picture with two losses, even though the losses were to Florida State um, and to Ole Miss, uh, one undefeated team, one one loss team. Um, but I think they're going to be a problem for Georgia when we get to the SEC title game. I loved LSU before the year started. I had no idea they would be this bad on defense, but man, are they good offensively. They have been really unstoppable. Jaden Daniels is a legitimate Heisman Trophy winner and is working his way, I've noticed, in recent mock drafts into the first round. Uh, They are a scoring machine. Bama's been great on defense, but not against the best offensive team that they faced this year. Uh, That's not true. Ole Miss probably was the best offensive team they faced. But when they faced Texas early in the year, Texas came in, got big plays, rolled it up. Arkansas moved the ball against them. Tennessee moved the ball against Bama. I really like LSU tomorrow night outright. Uh, But that finishes up a 12-pick smell test Saturday. The two on Sunday, Uh, you're going to have to wait until the late window in the afternoon. I know I gave Dallas out a few weeks ago against the 49ers, but Dallas is actually, and you rarely see this, um, they're a major anti-public play. The public loves Philly. They love what they've seen from Philly recently. When I gave out Dallas plus three and a half or three against the 49ers, it was never, ever close. Um, I don't know what I'm doing here, Uh, but I think Philadelphia's defense is not great. I think it's a little bit overrated, actually. Um, Dallas plus three. And then Sunday night, Buffalo plus one and a half uh, at Cincinnati. Public really likes the Bengals. By the way, you might be able to get a better number than that right now. Okay, You might be able to get two, two and a half with Buffalo. Uh, I'm going to keep it at what the number was when I gave it out on radio today. Um, I don't want to switch it, uh, but just know the Bills plus one and a half is a smell test pick. But I think right now you could get two, two and a half. That would indicate some sharp money on Cincinnati, uh, which worries me a little bit. Usually, um, you know, the point spreads that I give out or the picks that I give out, the smart money ends up on the same side that I'm on. So you end up getting a worse number as you get closer to kickoff. Uh, You might get a better number, it looks like, with the Bills. I see that now at plus twos pretty much everywhere. I see a plus two and a half. I'm looking at right now. All right, there you go. Uh, Clemson plus three, Michigan State plus three, Texas A&M plus three, Rutgers plus 18 and a half, Houston plus three, Virginia Tech plus 10, Maryland plus eight, Georgia minus 15 and a half, Pitt plus 21 and a half, Middle Tennessee State plus three and a half, USC plus three, LSU plus three on Saturday, and then the Cowboys plus three, and the Bills plus one and a half on Sunday and Sunday night. All right, that's it. Enjoy the weekend. By the way, I'm going to put out a podcast tomorrow. Um, I had a conversation with Mike Richman. Mike has written a book on George Allen. Uh, It is a very good book on George Allen George Allen is a legend in this town. He's the second greatest coach in the history of our franchise. Uh, He really, I think, started uh, this super high passion for the football team here in town when he arrived in 1971. And I had a long discussion with Mike about his book and about George Allen's life, about how he got into coaching because he was not a college football player, uh, how he became the head coach of the Rams and eventually the head coach of the Redskins and what he started here in Washington. So you're going to hear, uh, you're more likely than not going to hear this in two parts because it was a rather long conversation with Mike and I didn't really want to edit a lot of it out. Not all of you are going to love this because not all of you remember those days. Uh, But if you remember the George Allen days and you remember George Allen, uh, I really enjoyed the conversation and I learned so much about a Hall of Fame coach who was really quite the innovator, uh, defensive innovator of his day. Uh, So I will put that out sometime tomorrow. Um, And it'll be, the first part will be roughly 45 to 50 minutes. Uh, And then I'll put the second part out probably next Saturday. All right, that's it. Back on Monday.
4: The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better.